This podcast of Out to Lunch is made possible by FSC Interactive, an online marketing agency specializing in social media, paid search, and search engine optimization. FSC-focused smart communications empowers customers to take control of their online brands. More at fscinteractive.com. Smart is their middle name. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. New Orleans is one of the country's most popular tourist destinations. And you know there's no specific reason. There's no amusement park or beach. But like other great cities, Paris, Manhattan, people come here to spend time just living like we do. Ironically, we herd them into the French Quarter and down Bourbon Street, which locals mostly avoid, uh, put them on buggy rides, ghost tours, and swamp tours that locals never go on. And they eat in restaurants that most of us can only afford on special occasions. Tourists go home declaring New Orleans is a wonderful city, but they could never live here because uh, they'd put on 100 pounds and they'd be drunk every night. Making that experience the greatest week ever for about 9 million tourists a year is not the only task for the New Orleans Tourism Marketing Corporation, but it does drag a good portion of the $6 billion in annual hospitality spending into the local economy. The president and CEO of the New Orleans Tourism Marketing Corporation is Mark Romig. Uh, Mark, welcome out to lunch. It's great to be here with you, Peter. You know, a lot of people actually know you as the, as the voice of the Saints in the Superdome. You've, it's, you, you took over for your dad. That's right. Dad was uh, the voice of the Saints for 44 years, and he retired at the uh, end of the, the preseason in 2013 and I told dad I'll keep the seat warm for you until you're ready to come back uh, but uh, it's it's been quite an experience and with dad I have a great coach and we uh Take it a game at a time. And people probably don't know what your real job is. That's what today will straighten That's out. Right. They, so get crunked, whatever that you means. It. They, um, it's become a mantra these days that you can't be a, a truly great American city if you don't have a professional sports franchise. New Orleans has two, the Saints and the Pelicans. The senior vice president and chief financial officer of both the Saints and the Pelicans is Ed Lang. Ed, uh, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, Peter. Glad to be here. Ed, I don't think it's much of an exaggeration to say that to most business people in New Orleans, you have the dream job. But in the world of sports administration, it may look a little different. Most guys in your position are CFO of one professional sports team. You're senior VP and CFO of two. Your business card has two sides, one with the Saints logo and info, and the other with the Pelicans. How does that work what does your day look like? Um, are you a saint in the morning and a pelican in the afternoon? How does that go? Okay, I think it's actually minute by minute because it, it really, I've got uh, on the right side on the right side of me, I have the uh, saint staff. On the left side of me in my office, I have the pelican staff. And and I'm constantly going back and forth with, uh, with uh, both entities. And it is, as you said, it is very unique. There's not 
there's very few people that have the opportunity to not only work for just one professional sports organization, but two at the same time. So it's uh, it's a fun job and and uh, very unique. And you're um you're operating in a relatively small market compared to your competitors. Uh, how do you do it? A special set of skills or strategies? Yeah, I mean it's. You're right. New Orleans is is a small market, and to have two professional sports teams in New Orleans is a testament to this to the to New Orleans and its support of of both organizations. And you know, the Saints draw not only from just the New Orleans market, but but from all over the the, the southeast region. So that helps. And then and then the Pelicans are continuing to grow and and expand their territory. Now, I saw the movie Moneyball about uh, the Oakland A's being doing so well in a small market. They'll probably be a a movie about Ed pretty soon. That'll be, uh, I don't know if you can get Brad Pitt to play you. That would be the ultimate, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark, as a result of your ability to market the real New Orleans experience, more tourists are coming here each year. As I was saying earlier, although tourists certainly enjoy themselves in all kinds of ways, it can be difficult to experience what locals know as real New Orleans. In some cities, that's fine. Most locals in Cairo don't go to the pyramids, and folks in Orlando uh, don't go to Disney World too often unless they work there. Uh, Here in New Orleans, you've said that by 2018, you'd like us to grow to 14 million visitors. Now, in a city of under a million, that would mean, on average, every single day there'll be more tourists than locals. How will we manage to give those 14 million visitors the real New Orleans experience that they, uh, they came for? Well, first, I'm glad you've asked that particular question because we've been doing some review of those numbers because it's important that we, we grow tourism because it's growing the economy, it's increasing the spending, you have jobs that are attached to that. Uh, and just the general vibrancy of our community. It supports 78,000 employees right now. But you need to do it in a responsible way. We have a plan in place uh, to, to grow tourism, and the initial goal that was set for all of us was about 13.7 million by 2018. But and we that's needed, our, was it, our tricentennial, right? That's so, the tricentennial year, and that. that was published uh, at the end of 2009. So there were a number of factors that needed to go into place if we were to reach those kinds of numbers because with that we would reach 7.5 billion dollars in spending and we'd add another 33,000 jobs so there were some really aspirational goals attached to that but we were supposed to do some things that really haven't been done yet um turbocharge the riverfront well we're still working on that but by our plan we should have already gotten that underway so we're still moving that forward down the goal to the goal line but we're not there yet uh, fix the French Quarter, our iconic jewel uh, that is close to 300 years, has to be improved. Uh, the quality of life has to be increased. Uh, and so w- what I want to get back to is that while you see us coming off that aspirational goal of the, that many visitors, the spending is, is as important, if not more important. So we could reach our spending goal of $7.5 billion much sooner than we'll reach that visitor number. And it needs to be done responsibly. So we just can't cram that many more people into the city without experiencing uh, the, the factors that come along with growth that may be too fast or, or too, pa- uh, too impactful. So spread the visitation around. We're trying to do that with our new campaign, Follow Your NOLA, where we open up the entire city to the visitor, from the Bywater to Magazine Street to Mid-City to the lakefront. You know, we have such wonderful assets, and, and it helps um, decompress areas of the city that have been perhaps overcrowded in some respects, and, and we all know the issues that uh, that will come with that, and we don't want that to happen in New Orleans. So, now, now, Martin, you mentioned um, the French Quarter. I mean, we all have our little individual issues with the French Quarter, but what are the kind of things you think need to be done? 
uh, it starts with it being a, a, a quality life experience and visitors will want to visit a place that the residents and, and those retailers feel like they they have a, a quality of life. So I think anything we can do to uh, ensure that we have another 300 years in the French Quarter is, uh, is really the goal that we're all after. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I grew up in New Orleans. I remember playing in the quarter when my dad worked at Channel 6. Uh, you know, that's the, that's the experience that we want to have for our children and grandchildren, and I think that's, a, that's an aspirational goal that we should all attach ourselves to. And one of the things that uh, folks in your position like to do is get people to return and then also maybe to stay that extra day. Are we starting to get them to stay a little yeah, longer? Yeah, we're seeing more and more uh, individuals saying that they'll come back after they visit. Uh, we're seeing a... Uh, a longer length of stay. We're seeing people who come in for a, a cruise ship experience out of New Orleans staying a day or two before or a day or two afterward. They're getting two vacations in one. Um, and if they can stay longer, they're gonna spend more here as opposed to another city, and really that's our goal. The reason we spend money to market New Orleans is to keep um, the awareness of the city up there. When we're not advertising, we fall way below in the awareness factor. When we advertise and keep the, the message of New Orleans out, we're right up there with Las Vegas. And we never want to compare ourselves with Las Vegas, but you've got to play in the competitive mindset that people uh, attach to, you know, where they want to spend their money. You need to be there to help them make their decision to spend it in New Orleans as opposed to Nashville or some other city. Ed, you actually spent some time in Nashville, as an example, right? I you did. were running the Predators, and yes, uh, exactly. They uh, now, and with your two teams, you have them in really kind of different positions right now. The Saints are, you know, sell out every yep. every game, and the Pelicans are kind of building that uh, that that following. Um, what's what's next for them? How how can you how do you do it? How do you get your arms around that? Well, I mean, I think it's you know with with the Pelicans. Part of, a lot of it is just building up that loyal fan base. And we've got a good core uh, loyal fan base, but we've got to uh, scrape and claw away to find more and more people out there. And it, it, is, it truly is just kind of hand-to-hand -hand selling and calling people and, and, and really working the phones. And our, and our sales group's doing a great job in, in growing that. And the other aspect's going to be the team getting better. You know, because as the team begins to improve... There'll be more interest in the team, more interest from, from people kind of outside the area. And as that interest grows, and it, we'll definitely get that, that fan base up. So it's not, you know, because I came in kind of uh, new to the Saints organization. It wasn't that long ago that, that you know, the Saints struggled and they, and they really had to build their fan base. And once they begin to win and, and build that tradition, then... They've got now. They've got a solid core of fan base and a long, long waiting list of people that would love to get season tickets. And do do we have enough basketball fans in town to? We do. Make we definitely do. And and you know, back in the in several years ago when George Shin owned the team, the team made a really good run um, where they they took San Antonio to to the seventh game of of I think it was the conference finals. And so they weren't far from getting to, to where they need to be. And that created a, a huge uh, uptick in, in sales the following year. So it's there. It's just a matter of getting out there, getting the, you know, the team improving, and which we definitely know is going in the right direction. And this question is really for both of you. Do tourists um, come to the Saints games and the Pelicans games? And how do you know? How they, they do. I mean, probably... Um, 
you know, it's, it's a fair amount. You, you get some that come to the Saints game, and we, we get some that come to the Pelican games. Particularly with the Saints um, season ticket holders, as Ed was saying, they're from around the region. So they're going to come in and make it a weekend in New Orleans. They may take Friday and Saturday and go to the game on Sunday and either drive home after the game or even stay over a Sunday night. So usually those eight home games for the Saints, you can count on New Orleans being close to sold out, which is just a wonderful impact on the economy. Uh, oh, I know. If I was a fan in some other part of the city and I saw the home schedule, I'd think New Orleans, that's the game, the away game I'm yeah, going to. We've, so. we've got great tailgating that goes on, as you know, with Champion Square now, which is just a wonderful venue for that pregame excitement and postgame celebration. And, again, it's a walkable city, one of the things we do well here in New Orleans and why we consider ourselves a sports capital of the United States, maybe even the world, is it's a walkable city. 20,000 hotel rooms within a mile and a half of the Mercedes-Benz Superdome or the Smoothie King Center. So this is a, this is a place to be. And on a weekend, you can't beat a, a Saints home game. <laughs> and, Ed, w- w- people ask me this question all the time. They, they wanted me to make sure I asked you. Uh, Tom Benson, is he hands-on? Do you talk to him every yeah, day? Or? He, he is very much so hands-on. Um, it's, it's, when, when I joined the organization, you know, I thought at the time, I think he was 85, and I thought, well, he can't, surely he doesn't come in the office every day, but no, he is, he's in the office every day, he, he walks, the, walks the hallways, talks to people, I mean, he is, and he wants, I mean, it's just not, you know, showing up, he wants to know what's going on, we have meetings, you know, every couple of weeks with him as a senior management team, and update him on what's going on, and you know, he is still the decision maker in, in the organization. Does he spin that umbrella as he's walking through the hallways? <laughs> no, I, have, I, I haven't that. seen the umbrella. But. <laughs> it's time to do the checklist. This is the part of the show where we take a little break and ask you a question you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. Well, Mark, let me ask you. You are a real New Orleans boy, and uh, you went to UNO. What was your first job? My first job, I have to uh, think back. Uh, it was at Pontchartrain Beach, believe it or not. I, was, I used to take the tickets that they would take from the, uh, the guests uh, when they got on the rides in the back office, tear them in half, and then weigh them. And that's how you could tell how many people <laughs> went on the ride. This was like low-tech as low-tech can be. And I lasted for maybe two weeks. Then I, uh, was it the ripping, the adding? I what was just, the problem? It, it took all the magic out of amusement parks for me. So I then started uh, washing cars for the uh, St. Dominic uh, rectory with the priest. The priest had... A dozen cars or so, and so I would wash cars every week. <laughs> so that's how I got my spending money. Then I ran a snowball stand, and then I graduated from there to uh, more responsible things like answering the phone at the uh, at the church. So oh yeah, yeah. what a progression! It's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's, it was a true upbringing in Lakeview at St. Dominic <laughs> Parish. But uh, I attended Brother Martin High School, then the University of New Orleans, and graduated from the Hotel Restaurant and Tourism School. Oh, that's a great school so, there. Yeah, yeah I've, I've come full circle. <laughs> and uh, Ed. Um, what are your, when you're talking to potential employees, what are your favorite interview questions? What do you ask a, ask a person? I do not. The one thing I don't ask them is I don't ask them if they're a Saints fan or a Pelicans fan. Because more, you, a lot of times you'll get people that will uh, want a job just because they're a huge Saints fan or a huge Pelicans fan. So actually, my advice when, someone, when I interview someone is don't start talking about the Saints or the Pelicans because it's more about the job and what you can, you can do on the job versus, versus whether you're a big fan or not. That, that comes with the territory, but... Is that like you hire a bartender that doesn't drink? Sort of, uh, they kind of... Uh, <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, uh, we're going to check the inbox now, and that's when our producer picks a question that's come in over the past week uh, from a listener. Uh, Grant, what have you got? 
Uh, Peter, we have a couple of questions, one for each of our guests. This one came in on Facebook from One Angry Midget. <laughs> that's that's how you, he describes for himself. For you, Ed. Uh, the midget would like to know, if the current workers' compensation bill would become law, how would it affect the saints with regards to current payments into the workers' compensation system, and how would it affect signing players, given that Drew Brees and the NFL Players Association have both come out against it? Well, I'll, I'll answer the second question. A little inside it, football because question. Because I, I haven't actually been in, involved in that, that uh, the workers' comp legislation. Um, but it will have zero effect on signing draft picks. I mean, it, it is it is something that's not that draft picks agents they don't they don't think about they don't uh, it's not an issue. I mean, to me, the bigger issue for a player is an income state income tax. I mean, there's plenty of states that don't have Florida doesn't have a state income tax, Tennessee doesn't have a state income tax. So, if players are really worried about a workers' comp. Um, issue that's it's really not on top of mind um but there's you know look the the legislation i believe will get worked out we will we will work something out um you know between the two parties so i don't i don't think it's going to be an issue at all i didn't even think of that ed Uh, do you get taxed where you earn the money or where you live you you get taxed where you earn the money so when a player goes when we play a game in california for instance they they have to pay california's Income tax. Out oh, I there. see what you mean. Not physically that the Saints are in New Orleans, where the the game is actually played. Exactly right. Yeah. Wow. So when a player, when visiting teams come here and play, they're paying a state income tax for the number of days they're they're here. So if they're here for two days, then they prorate, you know, two days, and so they wow. pay income tax here. Jeez, this is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, here's a question from you from Skylar Hoffman, who's the proprietor of a B and B here called Chez Palmier. He asks, Mr. Romick. How exactly are you all marketing the city that is not focused on the Disneyland Main Street that is Bourbon Street? Well, we have taken a, a really a 180-degree um, pivot on this. Uh, we're actually supporting a, a marketing approach that's about psychographics. Uh, we're attaching the as- attributes of New Orleans, all the assets from Bywater to Magazine, as I said, to Mid-City, to the lakefront, to the traveler who wants to experience New Orleans beyond what we believe is just the, the bourbon and beads. Uh, we have complete respect for the retailers on Bourbon Street. They've been there for a long time. They, they support jobs. Uh, but we know that there's much more to the city of New Orleans than just that six block, seven block stretch. And so we tell the story of New Orleans being open to all sorts of exploration, be it either the restaurants, the music, the architecture, uh, the museums. Uh, you know, we've got the wonderful National World War II Museum, which has just done tremendous yeah. work in bringing people into the city. They're responsible for over 300,000 room nights a year. Um, And uh, again, uh, we know by research, the University of New Orleans does research for us each and every year. Over 90% of visitors mark down the French Quarter as a reason for their visit or that they will be by the French Quarter or see it. So we don't really need to tell the story of of that location as much as we want to open up the opportunity for the other participants of the hospitality industry to enjoy the tourism spending. So, And you know what I got out of today's meeting is that if you're as successful as you hope to be, you're going to need to spread things out. I mean, yeah. it's... Uh, well, I think that decompression of certain areas of our city is the responsible thing to do. I mean, we, again, quality of life is important, uh, and, and that, I think, will bring in visitation because people will see a city that they enjoy being in, that they see the residents enjoy living in, 
uh, and it raises the raises the boats for everybody. I mean, the, the more spending, the more money we have for city services and state services. And you know, uh, you're in charge I, of the leisure travel. The convention is an, is a different different side. How does it break down? I mean, no. Well, the vast majority of the people who come to New Orleans are considered leisure travelers. Now, um, the convention and, and uh, visitors bureau promote and attach themselves to the very important market of the association and convention or group visitor. That those are those large organizations and, and relatively medium-sized or executive-sized groups that come in and spend many dollars putting on great events and filling the convention center. And they will account for somewhere between 15 and 16 percent of our total visitation. But the spending is, is much more concentrated in that group. So majority leisure, a good portion uh, convention association group, and then roughly uh, 10% you could consider to be business travel to New Orleans. Now, we'd like to expand that as well because that fills the front of the plane, as they say, the business traveler. But we're, we're a very healthy leisure travel, travel city. And that would be a very different kind of marketing. The convention business has a very long lead time out in front. You well, it used to have much longer. The, those decisions are being made in a sh more of a short-term basis, but you still have those rotation large conventions that come in every three or four years, and, and they have the best staff in the country. They've been awarded the best CBB designation many years going forward. Stephen Perry and his team do an absolutely fantastic job, and uh, it's very competitive, and that's why both leisure destination marketing and convention marketing is as competitive as it comes. So you and Steve are teammates. Teammates. That's the way I would view that. But yeah. <laughs> it's been great getting a first-hand account of what goes on with two of the major pillars of our economy, our sports franchises, and our tourism. So uh, thank both of you for joining me on Out to Lunch. It's a pleasure. pleasure. You've been, pleasure. been great to have you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Ed Lang, Senior Vice President and CFO of the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans, and Mark Romig, President and CFO. CEO of the New Orleans Tourism Marketing Corporation. You can find out more about Ed's teams and Mark's tourists by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and it's neworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. On today's show, our researcher has been Chris Keogh. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's neworleans.com and www.no.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. Information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at PreSonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO. For its NewOrleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM, I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting you again next week for Out to Lunch around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments.